BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Hello and welcome to the Circling the Bases podcast. My name is DJ Short and joining me here is Scott Pianowski from Yahoo. We are live on Twitch right now, so welcome to our audience over there. If you're listening in podcast form, we're recording on Monday afternoon, coming right out of the first weekend of spring training games. Our position preview series is now in the rearview mirror, so we are going to talk spring training headlines takeaways from the first few days of action. I feel like we have a lot to talk about here, Scott. How's it going? Good. Uh, happy to have the power back in Michigan. Yeah. I did not watch as much baseball as I would have liked to the last few days because we, we had almost three days without power right. in the Metro Detroit area. But we're back. It's it's warm. The lights are on, DJ. And uh, man, it's almost March. The, the next podcast we do together and uh, show we do together is going to be in March. So I mean, that means we're really stepping in the draft season these adps are trying to crystallize we're trying to figure out you know what who's going to break camp with teams we're going to talk about a really exciting rookie today who made a splash over the weekend so there's a lot to get to yeah i i have labor coming up on friday i'm going to be in florida for that and then my tout words draft is next tuesday so we're like we're in it now um and it's off to the races, pretty much. Uh, before we get started here, just a quick word for our listeners. Spring training is upon us, and that means only one thing. It's draft season. Get the Roto World Baseball Draft Guide today and get all your player profiles, rankings, and projections. You need to hit your draft out of the park. Go to NBCSportsEdge.com slash draft guide to get your draft guide now. So I think the big thing out of this weekend, first of all, is just the look and feel of the game. Uh, I was in and out on a lot of games over the weekend, not necessarily you know two hours straight watching the games, but uh, the pitch clock. Uh, I feel like that's pretty much 70% of the conversation I heard uh, coming out of this weekend. Now, you said you didn't get to watch as much as, as you would have wanted. I, one thing for me, uh, and I'll say this right at the top, I saw one inning from Max Scherzer, he managed to strike out a guy in 25 seconds. Not, <laughs> that really says it all to me. Yeah, you know, with the pitch clock, I, I think it's just going to be one of those things that the players have to get adjusted to it early, and they will. And, and I know there was a game that had a walk-off with a, with a automatic, yeah. you know, a, a timeout walk, and that's not satisfying. 
But I think baseball wants this to be ironed out during the spring. Let the pitchers yep. adjust. Let the hitters adjust. And then when we get in season, what, what we're really going to sink our teeth into is how is the shift affecting playability? How is the size of the bases affecting playability? How is the, the new pickoff reform? Are we seeing more stolen bases? That stuff is really going to influence the game, I think, more than the pitch clock. I think the pitch clock is, is mostly about trying to improve the flow of the game. Now, there's yep. certainly a school of thought that somebody would say, well, the pitchers don't have as much time to really ramp up. Maybe they won't be as effective. You could also say, but maybe the hitters won't have time to, you know, change their batting their batting glove position, you know, 17 times before they go back in the box. <laughs> I don't really know if there's a major advantage to be gained from that. I know some guys work really slowly. You think of Kenley Jansen, some of the relief pitchers, they'll need to go through an adjustment period. But I do think the pitch clock is more about aesthetics, and it's not going yes. to affect the playability of the game as some of the other rule changes. Yeah, I, I it's called the pitch clock, but I think it's as equally you could say it's a hitter clock um, to get into the box. Uh, Kyle Tucker had an interesting quote um, saying, these pitchers are the best pitchers in the world, and you're giving them more of an advantage, and you have to rush into the box. It takes away some of the thought process that goes into hitting. Think, thinks it could maybe be a little bit longer. Uh, I think there's maybe some truth to that because there's the mystery. If you're a hitter, what the pitcher's going to throw, the pitcher has had a couple of days to work on a, a game plan, kind of understands what he wants to do sequencing wise. And I could see in certain cases, maybe it is an advantage over hitters, but I think it's going to take an adjustment on both sides. Like you said, but also DJ, you know, if, if that was such an advantage, how come we didn't have everybody pitching like Mark Burley, you know, catch the ball and throw it right. If, if, yeah. That quick pace was going to hurt the hitter so much. Now, granted, you know, we know the hitters love to put the hand up and get time. Remember that famous Bo Jackson highlight where he asked for time? It wasn't granted, and he hit a home run yep. anyway. I wonder if right. we see some of that this year. But, look, <laughs> I, 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 don't want to sound, I don't want to sound like like an old, dated baseball fan. I, I The game could use a better pace. I, I, you don't need an hour-and-a-half games or two-hour games. But the game, I'm, I actually like – not everybody liked the – relief pitcher changes they made what a couple of years ago where you can't yeah. just come in and pitch to the one guy in the middle of an inning i think that's good for the game because whoever went to a baseball game said i hope we see a ton of relief pitchers today i hope we see that one you know tony foss's pitches today to one lefty hitter that would be really cool <laughs> so i look if it improves the flow a little bit i i'm for it I, again i i do think We've talked so much about the shift. You know, everybody, every day has to be a referendum on why Corey Seager is going to gain 37 batting points or whatever it is. But um, I'm more excited about the shift stuff, the, the base stealing possible spike that we're going to see. And because uh, look, here, here's the bottom line with all this the problem baseball has right now is the pitchers are too good and that the relief pitchers are too good. And the teams have. We see this so often in sports. Optimization does not always lead to the best product, okay? The basketball right now, they've figured yeah. out the three-point shot kind of breaks yeah. basketball. And so yep. you watch an NBA game or a college game, you're seeing a bunch of three-pointers. And, you know, I mean, they're playing smarter. Is it the most optimized version of the game? Football has become a game where passing is more efficient than running. So the teams, you know, there's a lot of copycats and teams throw the ball more. They also realize that you can't, hit the quarterback with any ill intent or anything. So that's right. become a cheat code. What is optimal for baseball, for any sport, right? Now, baseball's figured out the hitters, what have they done because the pitching's so good? They've said, well, forget this three three singles in a rally thing. We might as well just swing from our heels, try yeah. to hit a home run. If I strike out 155 times, so what? Because so many other guys in the league have done that. So we have right. a game right now that's smothered with strikeouts and home runs. I don't yeah. know that that can radically change. I don't think anything yeah. in these rules is going to radically change that. But if we can get 
a little bit more of the activity in the field of play, whether it's defensive plays. There's been different schools of thought. Will the defense be better because of the shift or not? And I've seen people come down on either side to that. I'm just glad baseball's trying some stuff. And and if some of these things fail, okay, fine. You reevaluate at the end of the year and you change it. I I just think it needed a fresh coat of paint with these rules. And and I'm glad to see we're we're still, this is the first inning, right? I mean, this is the first pitch of the first inning. We have such a long way to go. Baseball is, is when you count spring training and the playoffs, it's an eight month season. So, you know, I'm not dug in on a lot of this stuff. I do think it was time though. Baseball made some significant changes and I think they're going to be for the better. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to note that, you know, pace of play, I think, is the big goal here to improve that. Just the look in the field, the game, will it always result in a faster game time? Ideally, I think you'll get both. Uh, but if there's a game where there's, you know, 10 pitchers, it's still going to take a while. Uh, but I think it's just to improve kind of the aesthetics of the game, as you said. And uh, I mean, I watch a lot of NBA these days. I mean, seeing everybody chuck three-pointers is not the most exciting game in the world. It's just just not. And if Michael Jordan was around today, I'm sure he would adapt and he'd be shooting a ton of threes too, but that wasn't like his game either. It's, it's hard to really compare these eras, but I, there's no doubt that uh, sometimes the way to win is not the most entertaining product. And I think baseball is trying some things, like you said, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But we're only a couple of days in right now. I think everyone will adjust to it. And that's what makes the spring training so important. I think in previous years, you know, you don't take much out of it. You see veterans, you know, get one or two at bats and then they're running along the warning track or whatever they're doing. But this year, there's there's real reason to go out there and do your best and adjust. I, I think that makes this spring training more important to watch than any in recent memory. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, obviously, we start with the rule changes and we just talked a lot about that. They've changed some rules about teams with prospects and teams have incentives now to bring up prospects quicker and and not play the service time manipulation game. That's something we have to look at. It's a world baseball classic spring. So some players will be involved in that and we have to track how they do there, see who gets hurt and stuff like that. So I feel like there are some spring trainings where not a lot happens and it's basically, okay, I'll just make sure nobody gets hurt and we kind of know who the starters are and everything. We're at a time where the game has changed both the playability of it that service time, the rule changes they made there, which are much overdue. We're going to see younger players, you would think, ostensibly come up sooner and become more draft worthy. Some guys you might think, oh, he's going to come up in June or July. Maybe these guys will break camp with the team or you know, spend yeah. most of the time with the major league team. That's better for us. We'll see the better players quicker. I think everybody's excited yep. about that. The World Baseball Classic should be a blast. So this is a year... And we've been through a lot, DJ, right? I mean, the pandemic wasn't that long ago. The 2020 season, we weren't even sure we were going to get it. We ended up getting a partial season. I'm still kind of trying to unpack what happened then. But that's three years in the rearview mirror now. I know. And um, and this feels like, again, this there are some spring trainings where not a lot happens. And I feel like you can say, okay, watch your NCAA tournament and, and watch your you know NHL and watch your NBA. And, and, you know, baseball will be here when you're ready for it. I think this is an important year to pay attention because a lot's going on. So the first violator of the pitch clock rule was actually Manny Machado. Took a little while to get into the box. And uh, kind of a related note here, Manny Machado signed a giant extension over the weekend. 11 years, $350 million. Of course, he originally signed that 10-year, $300 million deal in 2019. Uh, was set to make $30 million annually through 2028, uh, but had an opt-out after this season, which he intended to use Uh, But the Padres were able to uh, work out a new extension here. So Machado is signed through 2033, his age 41 season. 
uh, no opt-outs in this deal. Uh, pretty cool to see San Diego do this kind of deal. And I think it co- throws cold water on the whole notion that, you know, small market teams uh, can't compete. I mean, if, if they can get Tatis healthy, we're looking at Tatis, Soto, Machado, or, or all like guys who could win an MVP in any season. I think yeah. Xander Bogarts is a step down from that type of player, but obviously yeah. they, they, they gave him a good contract and they expect him to be a plus player, which he should be. I mean, he, he could probably be an all-star if they get anything out of Nelson Cruz, if they get anything out of Jake Cronenworth. This, Matt Carpenter was an interesting addition to this team. I think it's important to note a couple of things. One, the Padres, even though they have a lot of power, they actually like to run. And so yeah. I, w- I would think a lot of these guys, I, I don't, Soto didn't run at all, actually, when he, when he joined the Padres last year, which was interesting. I think you just have to throw Juan Soto's year out. I mean, the tray was hanging over his head. Then he's, his life is uprooted in the middle of the season. Nothing that he did last year makes any sense with the rest of his career. He's still yeah. an easy first round pick for me. You could argue was Machado more interesting as a fantasy commodity when he was playing for his contract? Motivation is different for, for certain players. I could see somebody in a contract year maybe being stressed by it. I could see another player in a contract year maybe being motivated by it. A lot of times we're just never going to know if it affected the player or not. Here's the bottom line. Manny Machado is in a loaded lineup. He's right in the middle of his career where we may have not seen his best season yet. And Petco Park is no longer Death Valley for offense. It used to be one of the yeah. worst places to hit. They've made some infrastructure changes. And now it's almost like a neutral park now. And they have just, again, a loaded lineup. There's no more DH anymore. You're going to cycle through a lot more. I cannot wait. I'm going to say I'm an East Coast guy, even though uh, Michigan should be on Central Time. I'm East, you know, Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to be staying up for a lot of these Padres-Dodgers games or oh, Padres-Giants yeah. games. Or when the Padres go to Colorado, heaven help the Colorado pitching staff. Because these yes. guys, uh, there's a lot of offenses I like. I mean, your Mets have a great offense. The Cardinals have a deep offense. I, we've talked about Toronto, who has all this young talent, and their defenses are coming in. They're getting raised, but they're also coming in. I think that's a net game for the offense. There's so many destination offenses, but, man, San Diego has to be near the top of that list. No doubt. So let's, uh, let's look at Machado here. So he has 1,597 career hits through 11 seasons. Uh, still, let's see, going into his age 30 season here, 10 years on this deal, right? 11 years. Mm-hmm. I think Machado might have the best chance of the current players in baseball to get to 3,000 hits. What do you think? Yeah, I, it's just, I think it's just a matter of him staying healthy because he's going to, you would think with modern travel, modern, you know, the conditioning, the health and everything. There's, there's no reason. Now, now, look, I know when a guy signs a deal like this, people say, oh, well, what's the contract going to look like at the end of it? You know, are they going to regret the Bogarts deal? Are they going to re- regret the Machado deal? You know, look at what the Yankees were left holding the bag with, like, Alex Rodriguez at the end of his career or whatever. But I think any, I think Manny Machado's game is going to age well. Uh, he's still a plus defender. He's still somebody who can be a five-category contributor for fantasy. And also what will help him – with the hits is that he he will take a walk, but he's not a heavy walk guy. He'll walk maybe right. 60 times in a season or something like that. So when you draft Manny Machado, you're thinking like 180 hits, something like that is a regular turnout for him. The 300-win pitcher might be a, a dead – I don't know when we're going to see another one of those guys, but I think Manny Machado is going to get 3,000 hits. I also think Juan Soto is going to get 3,000 hits. It's really yeah. early to start projecting where he's going to go because he's just – you know he's, he's really in the – the first lap of his career, but 
man, I, I grew up with so many Padre teams that couldn't hit that had like, you had to worry about one or two guys and then like the rest of the lineup had dead spots. And then of course the pitcher spot would come up. And so every Monday I'd be on the Rotowire's two start page and be like, Oh, can I get some San Diego guys? Can I get some Petco guys? <laughs> and that's just out the window now. Cause these guys are going to pile up the runs and I, and I'm with you. I, and I still think like the 3000 hits is a cool thing. It's, it's a pretty exclusive club for the most part. If nothing tarnishes your career off the field, you'll make the hall of fame and, a lot of guys in this team on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Uh, Manny Machado, I, w- I would think, what, probably around the turn, or does he securely in the first round for you? Where are we going to draft him? Machado, for me, is probably in the middle of the second round. He's in that glut of third baseman with, uh, you know, Austin Riley, uh, Raphael Devers, Bobby Witt Jr., right in that mix. I think they're all going to come off the board in the second round. Witt might go in the first round, but I'm probably not going to touch him. Man, first. you know, I- I'm glad you mentioned him. I was talking a little bit on Twitter about Witt, and Whenever, and I know he wasn't on our rundown today, but let's just quickly mention this. When a player's ADP reflects priced in improvement, like a significant amount of price, he was good last year. And then look, he had a lot of swing and miss this game. He came up at such a tender age. He, you know, he's obviously his father was a major league player. He's got a pedigree. He was a top hitting prospect in baseball. He's good and he's got a chance to be great, but you're drafting him with the expectation that he's great right now. And yeah. that Kansas City offense is like four deep. They're not. The, there's no buoyancy there. The bottom of that lineup, I, I can't. I see Wick going in the first round. That's just not going to be the way I draft. And if somebody drafts right. him in the first round and he does take that expected step forward, I mean, I'm talking like three or four level step, not like just gets a little bit better. But he like has like an MVP contention season. Fine, you beat me with Bobby Witt, but I'm not going to draft that way. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. If you travel, you know how to pull off a perfect getaway. You know after you enroll with your Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you get up to $10 back monthly on U.S. rideshare purchases with select providers, like a car to the airport. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths and where the Wi-Fi password is rarely used because you're the escape artist. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.mx slash you know. Uh, let's get into uh, some performances uh, from the weekend. And the one that that stands out to me, uh, Cardinals prospect Jordan Walker. So he hit this bomb 430 feet uh, to left center field, just showing off his ridiculous uh, skill set. I, I think equally impressive in some ways uh, was this infield single that he beat out, showing off his uh, sprint speed there. So you get the speed. You get the power. He made a nice catch as well, uh, running up against the wall there. Just 20 years old, Jordan Walker. Great season last year in double A. 
hit 306, 19 homers, 22 stolen bases in 119 games. You mentioned earlier, Scott, about sort of a newer idea of prospects, not necessarily, you know, you're not going to necessarily have to wait until May or June for them to come up. There's an incentive for teams to have these players on the opening day roster. There's clearly a chance that Jordan Walker can make the opening day roster for the Cardinals. And whereas right now, he's basically a late round pick in mixed leagues as far as ADP. I think as March plays out, we see more and more of him. If he continues to impress, I think he could push top 150 in drafts. Yeah, I could see that too. Uh, one, one piece everybody should read on Roto World is Dave Shevin did a piece on ADP risers. And I think the next time he comes out with that piece, Jordan Walker is probably going to be featured in it because people are going to notice when you're a top five prospect on every prospect board and you're coming off a season where he was a five category guy, he's a power guy, he's a speed guy. And he might step, the Cardinals Cardinals are kind of a perfect spot for him too, because they have a really deep lineup he'd be stepping into. But the guys who are theoretically blocking him are not players that he can't say, they're not going to say at some point, well, Jordan Walker's better than these guys. You know, there's two or three ways for him to get into the lineup where if somebody got hurt, somebody got in a slump, or Walker just had such a good spring, they can't deny him. The only thing that works against him in my mind, it's only because he's 20, he turns 21 in May. You know, if he was like 23, I think St. Louis would be like, here we go. He's ready. Let's do it. Because he's so young, it kind of gives him an excuse, maybe just to wait a little bit. But bottom line, he's going to play 100 plus games this year. And I think he could even be higher than that. Again, it comes down to if, if there's an injury, if he's just so good in spring training, there's like an outcry. You can't send this guy down. They've given teams incentives to call up guys earlier and you can get draft picks through how they perform, how many games they play, if they factor in the rookie of the year voting. So I think Jordan Walker, his ADP is mispriced right now. Go If you're drafting today on Yahoo or wherever you do your leagues, I hope it's on Yahoo, uh, you're getting a great deal on him. He's buried in the queue. You're going to have to raise him up. i got to raise him in my own rankings, to be honest with you. But enjoy it now because I think that's going to go away really soon. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so sort of the opposite side of the coin here. We're talking about a hyped prospect Here's one who was once a hyped prospect, Jared Kelnick. So he had a two-homer game on Sunday. And, you know, sometimes you see two-homer game in an early spring training game. You're like, yeah, all right. But what I think was most encouraging for Kelnick is you look at these exit velocities. So one of them was 113 miles per hour, traveled 428 feet. His other two batted balls, one of which was a home run, one, one was a fly out. 107 on each of those. This is a player who has made some adjustments, and he really has to because, you know, through two seasons in the majors, 168 batting average, 589 OPS over 558 plate appearances, basically like a full season. I mean, you can't get worse than that. So he has made some some changes at the plate mechanically, added an elbow waddle waggle at the plate to help with his timing. Uh, some kind of new timing mechanism there. So he's making some changes. And to see the hard hit balls uh, in his first game here, or second rather, I think is really encouraging. And he has a chance to win at least the strong side of a platoon job there uh, with the Mariners in left field. A fascinating guy, you know, post-type sleeper, right? I mean, uh, sometimes the best time to get in on these hype prospects is after they've come up and failed and yep. burned some people. This, I'm, I'm sure in some of your leagues, the guy who drafted Kelnick probably early is like, I'm, I'm not taking that guy again because he feels burned yep. by him. 
let's acknowledge some of the good things he did last year. Okay, he plays 54 games with Seattle, and he, and he hit 141, which is horrible. 141, 221, 313 slash. That's horrendous. He still had seven home runs and five steals. So if you projected mm-hmm. that out to a full season, I realize players don't play 162 games, but it's a, it's a perfect third of a season. We're talking about a 21 home run, 15 steal season from a guy who didn't hit at all. Okay, imagine if he can actually hit 230 or 240. And when he was in the minors for 86 games, his plate discipline improved. He got the OBP up to 366. He hit for a good average. Now, look, AAA is in major leagues, but his career AAA slash line is is really good. 302, 372, 574. He's entering his age 23 season. And again, he wasn't a prospect like, oh, top 23, top 38. I mean, he was another guy like Walker, a top five guy. At one point, he was probably the most exciting player not in the major leagues that we were thinking about. So uh, learning curve is different for everybody. There's no guarantee he'll be a great player, right? I mean, we've seen some guys who come up who who have buzz and just never figure it out. But then there's also like Mike Trout. You know, Mike Trout didn't do a lot his first year in Anaheim. He ended up being a star. I think eventually Jared Kelnick's going to figure it out. Now, hopefully it's in Seattle. I mean, who knows? At some point, if he struggles this year, maybe it's a, you just need to change the scenery. Maybe he's blocked because they have other good, talented players there. He's not so obviously better than their alternatives. I really like the offense they've built in Seattle. But here's the bottom line. If you can draft Jared Kelnick, and I'm so glad you said Kelnick. I, I know it looks like Kelnick. It's, it's Kelnick. If you draft him at a point where he's all upside for you, where it's like, okay, if he's, yeah. he pans out for me, great. If he doesn't, I can cut him, put him on my bench, whatever it is, you know, throw him in a trade or something like that. That's what you're going to get with his ADP this year. It's all upside because all the guys drafted in the round of Jared Kelnick are going to be guys who have no sure thing for them, but they don't have his upside. So I want you to follow him really closely and see, look at the walks, look at where he's batting in the batting order. Look at which team Seattle is playing him against. Did he play with the A team? Did he play with the B team? Because there's so much room for profit here. And I think the Mariners are going to protect him to a certain degree. I think they'll limit the exposure against left-handed pitching. They did bring in A.J. Pollock during the offseason. And, you know, Pollock was previously a very useful fantasy outfielder. At this point, he probably will see most of his at-bats against left-handed pitching. So mixed leagues, Pollock probably not a factor, but he may actually help Kelnick in the process. Kelnick is mostly playing against right-handers. And the other thing with Kelnick, the shift hurt him last year as well when he did put the ball into play. He's another player to watch as far as that's concerned. One other thing about Kelnick, you mentioned platoons. And and platoons have kind of made a comeback in the last few seasons. Seattle's going to probably platoon a couple of guys. We know Tampa Bay loves the platoon. The Giants are a platoon-heavy team. So your format is going to be a big factor in how you handle platoon guys. Because if you're in a daily format, okay, fine. You know, you get the guys in and out when you want. That also makes somebody like C.J. Crone a lot easier to roster because, you know, he's great at Colorado and he can't hit on the road. You can just daily, it's, you know, get to do the homework and all that. Although Yahoo does have a, a start optimal players button that you can push. So yeah. to consider that as well. So there are some formats you can make roster changes twice a week. An FBC format is like that. So again, you're going to be able to play the schedule, play your platoon guys in the right spots, play your players who are very home road sensitive in the right spots, that type of thing. If you're in a league where you need to set the lineup once before the beginning of the week, maybe the platoon guys are harder to swallow. Although, again, you, you know, Seattle may have a week where they play seven righties or something like that. But Kelnick or any any platoon player, and we're looking for strong side platoon guys, it's really hard to have somebody in the short side of a platoon. They just don't play enough. But I'm much more likely to be platoon heavy in 
are platoon favorable, platoon amenable in a daily transaction league or a league that gives me multiple transaction periods during the week. If it's yep. one and done, I'm less likely to roster a platoon player. Jock Peterson's another guy. Great hitter. Yep. He's only going to hit, he's probably going to hit 25 home runs. If the format is favorable for making changes, I want Jock Peterson on my team. So, uh, Makes sense. You're talking about a giant there. Sean Manaya, the newest, one of the newest giants. Uh, really wasn't thinking about him very much. He signed a two-year, $25 million deal uh, with San Francisco during the offseason, coming off a year where he struggled, had a career high, 4.96 ERA, uh, and 28 starts, two relief appearances with the Padres. Uh, so in his start over the weekend against the Reds on Sunday, he was up in the 93, 96 mile per hour range with his fastball about six to eight miles per hour north of where he was at this point last year and he's another one of those players who went to driveline baseball up there in the pacific northwest uh work with them to increase his velocity we know the success that the giants have had turning around pitchers in recent years Manaya isn't far removed from being a mixed league viable type of starting pitcher so He's one of those names. You know, we talk about spring training. Like, what do you watch? What do you? What should you watch for in fantasy leagues? A lot of it is noise, but when you see velocity stuff like this, you should pay attention. For sure, and it's a case of also. There's just certain teams I want to bet on. I believe in how they've handled. Like the Giants have handled their pitching so well. Even though San Francisco has been a little bit more offensive friendly in recent years, it's still a pitcher park. They generally have a good defense behind the Giants pitchers. Just look at some of the guys. You know, Logan Webb's had breakout year. Uh, they've had Alex Wood has been valuable at different times. Anthony DiScafani, who I'm interested in, was hurt last year, ankle injury. He's coming back this year. Last uh, Two yep. years ago, he was a great value. Manaya and Stripling are two of the players they signed, and I'm going to watch them very closely because somebody, I, I guarantee you, at the end of the season or even the middle of the year, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, I wish I drafted Giants starting pitcher XYZ. I'm not yep. sure. It, it, it could be Manaya, it could be Stripling, it could be Alex Wood, it could be DiScafani. Somebody is going to outkick their ADP significantly. And we're going to go, yeah, the Giants did it again with their voodoo, with their park, with their defense, and with their coaching, right? They have a really good coaching staff. That's part of mm -hmm. this, too. Sometimes it's a matter. So many of these guys need to change their pitch repertoire, maybe change their spot on the rubber, work with a different catcher, whatever it is. Pitch from the stretch, pitch from not from the stretch, from a full windup. There's so many things that go into what makes a pitcher effective. And the Giants have been really good about pinpointing how to get their pitchers at their maximum. So I want you, this is, again, we're talking, these are speculation plays. You're not going to draft Manaya or Stripling or DiScafani may not be drafted at all. They're all drafted yep. at positions where you're already going to have a handful of starters. They might start the season on your bench, but you're only thinking of the plausible upside. There's a lot of plausible upside in San Francisco. And I'm with you. What are we looking for in spring training? A lot of guys, we'll, we'll, Give, come up with excuses when guys don't have velocity. Oh, you know, dead arm period. They're ramping up, stuff like that. When somebody comes out smoking on the gun, yeah, I'm pretty interested. So Mackenzie Gore is one of those. Uh, so in his start uh, against the Cardinals on Saturday, he only threw one inning, but it was a very impressive inning. Reached 96.3 miles per hour on his fastball. Averaged 95.3 miles per hour. Why is this significant? So when he first came up with the Padres last year, he had that velocity, and he did very well. Then the velocity started to tick down. He had this elbow inflammation. He was traded in the Nationals in the Juan Soto deal. We didn't actually see him pitch for the Nationals down the stretch last year. But to see this velocity where it is, his first start in spring training, in spring training granted only one inning, 
But he's another one of those players who post-hype, late round, all upside, bad offense, granted. But if he has this velocity, striking out hitters, he could be mixed league viable. Again, that's all you're looking at for these late round picks is plausible upside. Did the player have a pedigree? If he's coming off a poor season, is there an excuse? And with a lot of pitchers, it's going to be that they weren't healthy. And I think San, San Diego, after the trade to Washington, I think Washington was prudent to just leave Gore alone, you know, just yeah. reboot. I mean, they're, they're obviously they're rebuilding. They, they probably have the weakest roster in the National League. They're not going to contend in a very loaded National League East. But this is what we look for. You know, we talked about it with Kelnick, you know, the post-hype cases, a guy everybody was hot over a couple of years ago. Baseball's hard, and every player has a different development path that isn't always linear. And this is the type of player you take late in your draft, in your mixed league draft, or, or maybe you put him on a watch list if you're in a thinner mixed league and you're just looking for that like one good start. Like if he's on your waiver wire and he has like a five inning, seven strikeout start, you just pick him up right away on spec and think maybe the light's going on for Mackenzie Gore. And the great thing is your acquisition cost is going to be so low that if it doesn't work out, if he gets sent down, he gets hurt, he gets knocked around a couple times, you'll just cut him and pick up somebody else. A perfect type of target in the late rounds of your draft, or again, in shallower leagues, he might just be a watch list player. So mid to late round target as well. Just uh, remember this one, Anthony Rendon uh, went two for two with a Homer on Sunday against the white Sox. Rendon. It's like, who knows? Can he stay healthy? No idea. But if he is healthy, he will be in the middle of that angels lineup, which has a lot of fun pieces in it. Taylor Ward leading off in the Mike Trout, Notani, um, Hunter Renfro, they added during the offseason. I like that Angels lineup. And for as low as Rendon's going, maybe he's an ADP riser at some point. I don't know. But if healthy, why not take a shot? Yeah, yeah he's. It, it's hard for me with Rendon because he was one of my favorite players into his 20s. I, I remember the, the year that Vladimir Guerrero first became a hot draft commodity. And he was going ahead of Anthony Rendon. And I was throwing out my hands like, this is crazy. We already know Anthony Rendon is great. We know Vladimir Guerrero will probably be great someday. But let's bet on yep. the guy who's already great. And I believe right. that was the year where Rendon had his, his best season. He was an MVP candidate. He led the National League in, in runs batted in, hit 319, you know, which like nobody does anymore. A, a healthy Anthony Rendon was just a monster. But the problem is he's been yeah. hurt two straight years. He's into an age 33 season. So there's no floor here. But you're right. This Angels offense gets really interesting. If he's healthy all of a sudden, you go from a team that's like a two-man show and then a bunch of like Brandon Drury's and Rengifo's. And like I, I like their support guys for what they are, but you really need like a third player to be on the, the, the front of the magazine, so to speak. And Rendon can be that guy if healthy. I just wonder if at his age and after two lost seasons of injury, I just wonder if I have the stomach for it. But I mean, I, yeah. I totally see the plausible case. I mean, it's going to be one of these things where we'll be in the friends and family league. I'll probably pass on him. <laughs> And then you'll take him or Fred Zinke will take him. I'm like, oh, you know what? They should have taken Rendon. <laughs> I feel like the Angels are all like high risk, high reward type of roster from top to bottom, basically. Uh, so they should be a fascinating team to follow. They could win 85 games or they could lose 85. Like that's just the way they are. Where do you think um, it's going? Let me ask you this really quickly. Where do you think things are headed with Otani? Do you think he'll be an Angel next year? I do not. <laughs> I don't think they can afford to keep him. I, I think he'll probably be a $500 million player. And where is that mo most likely to occur? Dodgers, Mets, yeah. Yankees, probably. Yeah. Yes, yes. Steve Cohen will give him a blank check, and then the, the, the Yankees will give him a blank check, and the Dodgers will give him a blank check. And, man, you know, the Dodgers might be the right fit for him because there wouldn't be much of a shift, right? He's already accustomed to Southern California. He'd be stepping into a winning situation. 
It's also, uh, you know, one of the things that a lot of athletes and celebrities like about Los Angeles is you're not in a fishbowl. Not, not that New York's a little bit like that, too, where there's just so many famous people and so many things going on that you don't live with everybody, right. you know, all eyes on you at all times like you do right. in some other cities. But, man, the Dodgers seem to make a lot of sense. I could see that. Thus they, you know, they they lost out. They lost Turner this year. Their team right. isn't quite as star-studded. Kershaw's eventually going to retire. This might be his last season. I could yep. see them thinking, like, okay, we, we need to push back to the top of this you know, maybe they, they push in their chips. Now, this begs the question or forces the question, if the Angels don't think they can keep him, do they, does he become somebody who's in the trade deadline talks or did they just ride the season out with him? I guess a lot of it depends on if the ancillary pieces are successful this year, guys like Rendon, because if they're in the playoff hunt, they're just going to ride it out. You know, well, yeah. why would they get rid of their signature player? But if they're not contending, is Otani traded at the trade deadline? What would crowd crazy would that be? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... To not be in contention under this expanded playoff field when we get to late July, that would be a huge disappointment. That would be another failure for this Angels organization that has had a lot of them. But I would I would hope they'd be in contention. I guess you never know. So quick yeah, word. Mike, Tr- Mike Trout has, what, three playoff games in his career? I mean, it's oh, such, such it's a, a sin. Such a sin. depressing. Very depressing. And I'd like to see Otani get one for too, sure. For get sure. that big stage. That'd be so good that. for baseball too, because he is the signature player in baseball right now. And not that he isn't promoted, not that you know he, he won't get plenty of you know, highlights, and he'll be on YouTube and Twitter and all that. But wouldn't it just be great to see him have a signature moment, you know, against the Astros sure. in the playoffs or something? I mean, that sure. that would just be really cool. We need that. Just like you know, the best player in the NHL is Connor McDavid, and and he's had almost no playoff resume because you know the team isn't that great around. Although they have a couple of really good players, but the depth of the team, he hasn't had a playoff resume, and you just want to see you want to see the great players get to do that. Yeah, and I think it's one of the other benefits of the balanced schedule. Like, mm-hmm. more fans will get to see Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Like, Otani will pitch in Pittsburgh at some point. And I, I think that's, like, really cool to, to – I think that's a smart thing that MLB is doing to market their players. Yeah, not, There's a lot getting, of things they don't do Not getting enough well. attention, too. You know, it used to be – I think this year I'm almost, like, division agnostic – and this has really changed, DJ. A few years ago, when we still had the DH, it's like, okay, you get a shade towards the National League pitchers. It's just such an advantage. And yep. you look at the divisions. Okay, American League East, you know, it's a softball league. Uh, American League Central, it's like all these pillow landings. But with the schedule yep. being more balanced, that I'm not saying divisions are maybe completely irrelevant, but man, I have not, this is the least I've considered divisional alignment in probably 20 years. It's just, I feel like you have to totally revamp how we play that angle. Right, and I think there's a lot of the interleague games in the early part of the season, too. So it's not like players are going to be acquainting themselves with their new leagues and whatever. I think there's going to be a lot of randomness. Then there'll be division plays. You get more toward the middle of the season. So it's going to be pretty interesting to follow all of that. So before we uh, move on here in the show, another quick word for our listeners. Download the Roto World app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in your app store today. Get the Roto World app. So uh, a couple other things from the weekend here. And I think when we did our outfielder episode, our position preview episode, you can go back in our archives to listen to all those. We covered all the positions, starting pitchers, relievers. But in our outfield episode, we talked about Masataka Yoshida, and we kind of, I guess this was the expectation when they signed him, that he would hit leadoff for the Red Sox. It seems that will not be the case, actually. 
um, and he's more likely to hit in the middle of the order. And uh, Tristan Cassis actually hit leadoff on Sunday. There's a possibility he could be the regular leadoff man against right-handed pitching. How does that change what do you think of both of these players, Scott? Well, what I'm trying to figure out, we talked about platoons earlier, and uh, according, this is not official by any means, but the invaluable roster resource page on Fangraphs, which has the projected lineups and it has guys who are projected to platoon. Right now they have Casas, <coughs> Yoshida, and Reese McGuire as three player, three lefty hitters who could conceivably platoon. I think they paid Yoshida way too much money yep. to platoon him. And also just you know, find out how he does against left-handed pitching. You know, Give him the chance <coughs> to succeed or fail against it. I thought his OBP just made him a natural leadoff guy yep. and then just hit Devers third. I guess you don't want the two lefties right away, back to back, but although Devers hits all kinds of pitching. So I thought you know, Yoshida hits first, Devers hits third, problem solved. Right now it looks like Devers second, Yoshida fourth. I don't know. I, this team, as a Red Sox fan, this is the weakest lineup they've had in such a long time. I see so many dead spots. I see so many guys who are going to hit 225, are going to strike out 150 times. I'm hoping we get a, a step forward season from Alex Verdugo, but it hasn't happened yet. I thought Justin Turner was a good signing, but you know he's what he's 38 now. Uh, at least they kept Devers. I I still think dollars to donuts on opening day. Yoshida's going to hit lead off, but I, I guess. The, the idea is that they're going to play around with different lineup construction, and maybe they just don't want Devers and Yoshida hitting back-to-back. Right, right. And I, I guess if this is the way they play it, and, and uh, Cassis actually hits leadoff against righties, it would be Kike Hernandez against lefties. We'll see how it plays out. This is one of the, another one of those spring training developments to watch where lineups can matter in certain situations that you see on a daily basis during spring training. That's what one so thing we're looking at. Lineup... Yeah. Batting order stuff. Now, now, maybe it means a little bit less. Again, with the DH in the National League, it used to be like, okay, here's a player who's going to steal some bases in the National League. I get to figure out if he's batting first, second, seventh, or eighth. Because yep. first or second, that's good. Seventh or eighth, that's a kill shot. Now, since the DH has been universally adopted, that's not as big of a deal, although I still am very lineup sensitive. We've talked about Tommy Edmond. I got this wrong yep. last year, but I'm, I'm following it. I'm doubling down. I'm still concerned he might not hit leadoff for the Cardinals. And that would and if he doesn't hit leadoff, it's not like he's going to hit third. I mean, he would hit seventh, eighth, yep. or ninth. So that could significantly affect you know, how many plate appearance. He might lose like 90, 100 bats in something like that. So yep. that's what are we looking at in, in spring training? One of the things, we're, and, and, and again, you have to take it with a grain of salt because a lot of these lineups are going to be missing like five or six regulars. But who's who's hitting in good real estate? And also, I always thought it was crazy, DJ, in spring training. Why would some guys steal bases? It's like, well, what are you doing? I mean, I, you, the games don't matter. Why run yourself into injury and stuff like that? But sometimes that reflects a team's mindset that they're going to be a running team, or maybe a player just wants to show this is a quiver that I have. Yeah, you know, this is part of my game. So I, I'll look at that too. Who there'll be somebody out of nowhere who will steal seven or eight bases, especially yeah. if he's on a player on a losing team. And, and by the way, the Red Sox have a guy who could be that in Adalberto Mondesi. And I know everybody's afraid he's going to get hurt. He'll play another thirty games. I know he's not a great real life baseball player. But if he somehow gets a, a full time job here, or even like a seventy percent job, right now he doesn't have that. He could yeah. still 55 bases. I agree. I agree. And I think there are days that you can look at a team's lineup in spring training and be like, okay, the regulars are in. How do they shuffle up here? There are some days where you see, yeah, it's a bunch of minor leaguers, and especially World Baseball Classic taking some regulars out of the lineup. You're going you're gonna to have to pick and choose what really matters. But there are certainly things out there on a daily basis you can track. One I saw from the weekend, Colton Wong. 
so he hit leadoff in back-to-back games for the Mariners over the weekend. Of course, traded from Milwaukee to Seattle during the offseason. Jesse Winker uh, went to the Brewers in that trade. But to see Wong hitting in front of Julio Rodriguez, Ty France, Teoscar Hernandez, that's a pretty great place to be. Granted, it will probably most likely only be against right-handers. But he's a player that maybe you're kind of meh on, like leaving the ballpark in Milwaukee, which is obviously a huge advantage. But hitting there in that situation, just the volume at the top, to me, he'd be a viable middle infielder option. Yeah, I even think that lineup gets fun down to, to five where you, Eugenio yeah. Suarez is. I, I think yeah. he has a little bit more batting average upside than some people might think. With Wong, we talked a lot about platoons earlier, and so this is it's going to be hard for him to play against lefties, so you may need to be in a format that's friendly towards platoon players, but I still think at the end of the year, he's going to do what Colton Wong does. He's going to have a very quiet double-digit home run season. He's going to yep. have a very quiet double-digit steal season. He's going to hit for a plus average. He's going to be a decent run producer when he plays. It's just the idea that he's going to be a maintenance player for you. You're going to have to have a caddy for him. You're going to have to be lined up sensitive. There's some formats where this type of player is really valuable, and there's other formats where this player can be kind of a pain in the neck. Those you know once-a-week lineup leagues, I might be a little bit less likely to draft Wong, but he, he's not... He is in the boring veteran part of his career. Oh, yeah. Nobody's yeah. going to the draft and, and taking Colton Wong and having like five people curse their name out. He's not <laughs> an exciting pick anymore. No. But there's still a useful player here. You just have to I, accept I that, the, you know, again, he's not going to play 160 games. That's just not something that's realistic. Exactly. So we'll finish out the show here with some injury updates. And I know a player you liked a lot. I think cracked your top 20 outfielder, Seiya Suzuki, um, was scratched from Saturday's lineup with left oblique tightness. Underwent an MRI on Sunday. Uh, Cubs manager David Ross said Monday morning that the team is still in wait-and-see mode. Um, not really giving a timetable. Looks like they're still reviewing the MRI right now. I don't think anything is really to worry about for the regular season. But he was supposed to participate in the World Baseball Classic. You know, we know how tricky these oblique injuries could be. I, th- I think at this point it would be a surprise if he did participate in the World Baseball Classic, which is going to be a a huge bummer to him, obviously, to represent his country. Uh, he's a native of Japan. He was about to leave camp, actually. Um, but I'm not really worried about opening day. Um, one thing I thought was interesting with Suzuki, you know, coming off the season he had last year, he was red hot at first, struggled a bit, got hurt, came back, finished the season strong. He actually put on 20 pounds of muscle during the offseason season. And when I hear about the oblique injury, I'm like, oh, no. Was it like his training that resulted in this? I'm not sure. But uh, to see that, the 20 pounds of muscle, not just for power, but I think to make it full that through that grind of 162-game season, I think was part of the motivation there. I guess we'll see about the oblique, but does it change anything as far as your aggressiveness in drafts? Yeah, I, I would like to see some favorable news here. And, and as you said, probably doesn't play the WBC now. It's just the prudent thing. They have to look at the regular season as the more important goal for Suzuki. One reason I really liked him, and I'm I'm sure we must have talked about this on the outfield show, is that he was so unfairly judged by umpires where all the borderline pitches, it seems like, were called against Suzuki last year. He had like the worst umpiring record against him. And I I don't know if that's because he was a rookie or if that was just a fluke, just a coincidence. But I can't imagine that was ever going to repeat. And I thought he acquitted himself really nicely. He's another guy. He played two-thirds of a season. If you 
projected that out to like 150 games, you would have had a much better counting numbers and he probably would have maybe an ADP of, of two rounds more expensive. But we need healthy guys, DJ. And I, I always say I don't like to draft into injuries because players are going to get hurt. They're going to find you with the injuries. So let's not draft too many guys who are already hurt. I'm yeah. going to pull back a little bit. I, I don't. I guess the only draft I have now, I'm doing the TGFBI, Justin Mason's Same. Great League. Yep, I'm glad you're in that too. And uh, by the way, for the listeners out there, that's a, if you want to get a sense of how does the market feel about players? How does the industry feel about players? There's a lot of spreadsheets. You can find the AD, the, the global ADP from 29 different leagues going on at once on any different player. So you want to get a sense of how we all feel about whoever it is. It's all in the TGFBI. It's really, yep. I think, has a lot of ca- spillover to how you draft your team because you're going to get all this player perception news. I, I may back off Suzuki in a TGFBI format until we get more clarity but for my drafts in the second half of march if they clear him if he starts playing spring training games again i'm going to go back to viewing him as the 2023 target what about jordan alvarez so he has this hand issue which actually dates back to late last season i don't think it really impacted him at the plate if you watched him on the stretch and into the world series but a little troubling that he didn't you know still dealt with this discomfort i guess you would say during the offseason not even swinging a bat in Astros camp right now. And it's unclear when he will. Um, so this is a guy who, if you're in TGFBI right now, you may be have forced to make a decision, basically. Right? Is he a first-round pick? Does he slide into the second round? Today, if you had to make a decision, what would you do? It's funny. I actually took Mookie Betts over Alvarez in, in the middle of labor, uh, the mint labor mixed draft because i the the website we were drafting on had alvarez listed as utility only and i should have known that he qualified in the outfield and that that was wrong i would have taken alvarez otherwise but you make a viable point here that i, I i'm just so risk averse in early picks first round and, and i hate saying this because we have alvarez parked he's in the middle of his career batting cleanup for and i, and I know it sounds like i say every team has a loaded lineup but i think the top the best top seven in baseball might be the astros Altuve, Brantley, Bregman, Alvarez, Abreu, Kyle Tucker, who might be the best hitter of all of them, although, man, Alvarez is a monster, and Jeremy Pena, who just won the World Series MVP and is a category juice guy. You know, they don't have a hitting catcher, and you know, we'll see if Chaz McCormick does anything. But those top seven, they're going to cycle through. It's going to be a pinball machine. And having Alvarez in the middle of that, he hits righties, he hits lefties, he hits the ball all over the park. There's no right way to – every way you try to pitch Alvarez is wrong because he hits every kind of pitching. But if he's dinged up, man, I, I just – and maybe maybe this is part of the DeGrom principle. Like, we're the last couple – and I you know pitchers and hitters are apples and oranges. But the last couple of years, I just said, screw it. If Jacob DeGrom's healthy, he's the best pitcher in baseball. It's going to give me such a leg up. And I got burned by that. I, I felt like I, I, you know, I put my hands close to the fire and got burned. And I, I'm going to need a positive flow yeah. in Alvarez's new story before I draft him in the first round. And I hate saying that because I think he's the best hitter in the American League. Is it one of those things where, I mean, hitters don't need that many at-bats to get ready for a season generally. So are the Astros just being overly proactive to be like, let's just knock this out, rest a couple of weeks. You know, he gets 20 at-bats, he gets some at-bats in the backfields, and he's good to go on opening day and he mashes. Like that's a totally plausible Mm -hmm. scenario that could play out. And again, I mean, he could – I don't think anything's out of play. The crazy thing about Alvarez, I'm pretty sure we mentioned this in the previews. 
he was unlucky last year by his stack cast yeah. data. He had a monstrous yeah. season. He had an MVP contention season. He had a who's the best hitter in baseball right now, Jordan Alvarez might be, season. And yet he was unlucky with his batted ball profile. Imagine if that yeah. luck either normalizes to average luck or God forbid, heaven help us if he has a lucky favorable season with his batted ball profile. And again, I... We, we can't escape this left-handed hitters, right? Although he moves, he does hit the ball all over the park, but you get to figure the shift is going to add some juice to his offensive game. And, and man, I feel like I'm talking on both sides of my mouth here because I, I, injuries, <laughs> injuries make me nervous, but yep. I better have Jordan Alvarez on one of my teams, man, because oh, he's going to be will. the, he's going to be the American league MVP one of the next three or four seasons. I, I could see that as well. So uh, last injury update here before we go, Miguel Vargas, exciting rookie, with the Dodgers. Uh, one week ago, he suffered a hairline fracture in his right pinky finger, took a ground ball off his hand. He's still been playing defense in early uh, in early spring training games here, has just been standing at the plate, not swinging the bat, really. He actually drew a walk the other day, which is hilarious because everybody knows he's not going to swing the bat. Uh, but he's been playing defense, actually made a really nice play over the weekend. He's slated to be the Dodgers' regular second baseman. So I think they're like, get as many reps as you can out there. It's too important. Um, he's actually started swinging about again. That was the news coming out on Monday. Not ready to do it yet in a game. For me, like comparing this to the other situations we just talked about, not much concern for me with Vargas and his readiness for the season. I, I did just want to point out, for me personally, he's my choice for NL Rookie of the Year. Um, very excited to see what he can do counting stats wise in a Dodgers lineup where he has a chance to potentially have a favorable spot there um, and playing second base there as well. In fantasy leagues, we need as much help as we can get at that position right now. I'll sign off on just about everything you said, other than I think he might bat seventh, eighth, or ninth most of the season. Now, it's a Dodgers lineup that's still deep. I know they don't have Turner yeah. anymore. If they get anything out of J.D. Martinez, Max Muncy has to be better this year. Obviously, Betts Freeman Smith at the top sure. of the lineup is royalty. But Vargas, what makes a fantasy player valuable right away? He's a category juice, right? He's going to hit double-digit home runs. He, he could challenge for double-digit steals, should be a plus-average guy. And I know, and maybe we've been a little bit burned because Gavin Lux has been a stop-start player for, for them. And, and I'm really excited to see what he does now that he has a right yep. job. He knows every day he's in the lineup. I think it's the time to go get Gavin Lux, who has a very affordable ADP, and he'll be in the middle of that lineup. I'm interested in Vargas. I, I just, I got to be a little bit muted if he does bat ninth, although the National League, as we said, is different with the DH these days. It, it's not as much of a kill shot hitting in the lower part of a lineup as it used to be. But I think his category juice is going to play right away. So if he's healthy, and it sure sounds like David Roberts is ready to play him, that, that Roberts has said, I think he said oh, yeah. to, to people, I think he was telling Jim Bowden of uh, Sirius XM that, yeah, Vargas is my second baseman. So if Dave Roberts is saying that to Jim Bowden, I'll take that to the bank. So one other interesting note here about driveline. When we think about driveline, it's usually pitchers, right? Mm -hmm. So the Dodgers actually sent some of their hitters to driveline this offseason. Gavin Lux, Gavin Lux, Mookie Betts, uh, Max Muncy, and Chris Taylor. They did a lot of weighted bat drills. They did the whole like body scan and you know checking out your mechanics, <clears throat> your mechanics and that kind of stuff. One interesting note about Gavin Lux coming out of that. I think it was in the Los Angeles Times last week. Gavin Lux apparently picked up like six miles per hour of bat speed coming out of the offseason. To me, let's like let's see how that plays out. Like as soon as I hear that, I'm like, I'm gonna watch everything Gavin Lux does during spring training to see if it actually translates to 
exit velocity. If he can add that, you're talking, to, talking about a player who's going to make take a major step forward this season. I'm moving Gavin Lux up in my rankings as soon as we finish this show. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, so definitely, you know, pay attention to that kind of stuff. And even Max Muncy, after the year that he had last year, I think just back to full health could be huge for him. Interesting to see Mookie Betts in that that mix too. That the Dodgers would send a superstar there, but uh, you know, some players will get more out of that kind of situation than others. And Lux obviously has a lot to prove as a former top prospect. That's one thing I love about Betts, by the way. He's always been. You know, look, you don't get to the major leagues without a good work ethic. You, nobody just coasts into the majors. But I always thought that Mookie Betts is a guy who wanted to get every ounce of his ability. He wanted to get every, every possible. Um, he wanted to get everything out of his ability, just to be the maximum player he could be. He's just, and he's, you know, I, look, I'm a Red Sox fan. I grew up loving the guy. He's he's been a great second baseman. He's been a great center fielder. He played right field in Fenway, which is like impossible, and he was great at it. I think he might have even been better than Dwight Evans at it, who was like a player I grew up idolizing. But uh, the fact that Mookie Betts in his 30s, where he'd be, nobody would question him if he just took it easy in the off season, but he actually wants to improve. I think Freeman's that type of guy too. I, yeah. Um, and, and if you're going to bet on who's going to lead the National League run scoring, it's going to be Betts or Freeman. It, it almost always is yeah. one of those guys. So um, still, I know Turner left, and I know we this isn't the Dodgers lineup that we've seen the last few years, but end of the year, I think they're going to be a top five offense with little problem. All right, Scott, thanks for joining me today. So Wednesday's show, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about bounce back candidates for the 2023 season. Uh, So that should be a lot of fun. Make sure to stay tuned for that later this week. Also, make sure to subscribe to Circling the Bases wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review if you like what you're hearing. Make sure to follow us on Twitter if you don't already. Scott is Scott underscore Pianowski on Twitter. I am at DJ Short. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.